This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because... If you're listening to this at home, they all have masks on, so it sounds a bit muffled. They really are enthusiastic about advertisements sucking. By the way, my name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists, live in San Francisco! Y'all are crazy. Wow. Yeah. We love you, San Francisco. This is a, such an amazing venue. We've never been to August Hall, but my God, what a, what a beautiful place. And uh, we have a special guest for you today, a surprise guest. Um, you know him from every time that you've been to Whole Foods. Please welcome to the stage our friend, Matt Nathanson. So, so Matt, you um, <clears throat> were so gracious to open up the show with some live music. Uh, and we like to surprise people, so we don't tell anyone, like, hey, there's going to be music beforehand. We don't even tell them there's going to be a special guest necessarily. But um, we did a podcast with you a few years ago before the world turned upside down. And, um, man, we had such... I don't even, I couldn't tell you exactly what we talked about, but I can tell you it's one of my favorite conversations we've ever had. You know, that happens a lot with me. <laughs> People are just like, that was the greatest uh, time I don't remember. You, the one thing I remember him talking about was, I think you called it spiritual constipation. <laughs> Do you oh, remember talking Jesus. about this? No. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use that now. No, I, I feel, it, yeah, it's true. <laughs> To get stopped up there in the... Yeah. You need some spiritual metamucil. Yeah, exactly. Work it through. Yeah, especially recently. And so, um, folks, we've got a microphone set up. Feel free to... Someone needs to break the seal. We're going to answer a bunch of questions and stuff. But uh, before we start answering some questions, Matt, I thought we would talk about the last couple years because there's something about a time like this that produces... Well, it changes some of the stuff that people write about. And I will tell you, you're one of the most prolific writers, but also one of the most talented writers I've ever met. Your music is, is amazing, but the, the writing that is the core of it is just unbelievable, man. How has the last few years, though, has it sharpened it? Has it changed it? Has, has it made you reflect in a way that maybe you hadn't previously? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think I, if I was being completely honest. I think I spent almost my entire life hung up on uh, kind of one thing, right? And then... Sex? Yeah, <laughs> sex. No, I wish. I wish. Sex was just a ruse. Um, but the way that it worked was I spent my whole life sort of trying to come to terms with parts of myself and my relationship with my family and this kind of stuff. And <clears throat> because the pandemic happened and you, I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't run away from anything, I couldn't go on tour, I couldn't um, busy myself with anything, um, I just kind of took, right took it right in the chin. And, uh, and I think, it's presumptuous to say this, but I think I've turned a corner and sort of put to rest this Th that part of my journey, and if I'm going to be like specific, it's kind of like it's all mom and dad related, really. But it's pretty much 
my mom died during the pandemic and we hadn't spoken in a long time and I don't really have a relationship that close with my family and but it was it sort of was just like this culmination of all this shit and um and and I truly believe through therapy of course a lot of therapy and kind of repeating the therapy repeats itself this is what therapy is you keep coming back to the same box and then you sort of open it and then you're like I got it I got it and then you shut it back up and then you come back the next week and you're like oh, wait what is this oh shit this is a bah and then you turn it over you're like how do I open this and I you know you spend years trying to unravel and and so I'd like to think it feels pretty confident that um, chasing after people and trying to get love from people that don't want to give it to me, at a certain point, uh, along with my age, almost being 50, I've sort of turned this corner and now I can sort of deal with, it's sort of unraveled and it feels a little bit like we took weight out of the backpack and now I can kind of like get a little deeper into the backpack and see what else is in there. But it took me a long time and the songs and poems and that kind of stuff that I write. Up until this point, I'm doing a poetry lyric book and I'm pulling it all together and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy had some real problems <laughs> with his mom and it's everywhere. It's like, you know, and it's always like relationship. It's always this kind of thing. And then now the new stuff has, has a different depth to it and, and a different kind of empathy to it and a different kind of um, scope. And it's such a fucking relief. <laughs> to like be past, you know, at least around the corner from that particular thing. So that's a very long answer to a a great question. Well, what you're talking about here is, you know, we pick up a lot of weight along the way. Now, a lot of that weight, it sounds like you picked up in childhood, as you you would know Ryan's and my stories. We we also filled the backpacks with a lot of the sort of, you know, whatever you want to call it, childhood trauma, incidents, etc. And... I think you carry it so long that you get used to it and you sort of develop this sort of mental musculature to be able to continue, because otherwise you break down, right? But what you're talking about is, oh, shit, this is, I picked all of this up somewhere, consciously or unconsciously, but anything I picked up, I also have the ability to sort of set down. But now that you're going through the backpack, what what else is in there now that you've gotten... The, the, those few top layers out of there, the, the heavyweights. There's a lot of fun stuff in there. What I realized uh, also, to your, to your point, is that we, we attract the things that we... It's funny how insidious the brain is and that the wound that you have... And this is all very new-agey talk that everybody... Talk, you know, it's hard to say this without, you know, people being like, oh, the wound, oh, the trauma, you know? And it's like, I get it, but, you know, have some fucking empathy. And, uh, and it's like, and so, but what it comes down to is it's a funny thing because you realize that, like, you were guarding the door with, like, just this unbelievable vigilance while letting, like, the worst of the worst offenders in through the back, do you know what I mean? Like, so you were sort of like holding, you're like, you're not getting in, you're not getting in. Hey, come on in, have a seat. And then you'd be like, you're, oh, you want, the, you want the code to the safe? Sure, here it is. And then you're like, no, you can't have a pretzel. <laughs> you know, like, and that was how it was. I just spent my life, like, keeping all these people out and people that loved me and that I loved and, at this, and then insidiously sort of, like, letting in people that were sort of dismantling the place. You know, and, and again, it's not, they weren't doing it in a, 
sociopathic way, well, some of them, but really they did it because they're wounded, fucked up people too, and that's just what they are used to. And so, you know, wounded finds wounded, and you find, and so once you can critically think, and once you can get in front, you know, and, and I'm saying that like it's, it's not an exact science, you know, it happens sometimes, it doesn't happen others, as you know, but like once you can get in front of those thoughts, you can really be like, oh yeah, no, 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 this is that situation again. Or, oh, this feels like this situation again. Or, or you get totally blindsided and you're like, fuck, this is the situation again. <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, to answer your question, there's a lot more in the backpack. <laughs> oh, man. It's a never-ending story of like, what a fun time it is being a human. Mm. <laughs> we have this, we have so much awesome abilities, right? Like we have the, the capability of so much power, all within the self. The enjoyment of the experience yeah. is based on the self. All this stuff is based on the self and then, and we spend, and the world spends so much time throwing things at us that make us kind of like avoid the self yeah. at all costs. And, but think that we're doing the work. It's wild. <laughs> it's a fun time, as you I, know. Yeah. I, I feel like life is 50% magical, beautiful, just unbelievable and then the other 50 percent is like what the hell is going on <laughs> i feel like it's all what the hell is going on i feel like we were talking about that upstairs yeah. that idea of like like it's all this just cra it's crazy we are what meat suits flying on a fucking rock <laughs> through space like what a wild time meat suit i'm gonna use that you know what i mean That's and then good. but yet we get stressed about like oh my god they didn't have the fucking peanut butter i wanted do you know what I mean? Or whatever stupid ass thing. And like we literally are magic in like happening. And it's finite. We're going to fucking die. We're going to disappear. We're going to become a table. You know what I mean? Like our energy is going to fucking spread out in the universe and do other shit. And we're mad because like, you know, we're like, God damn it. You know, like my boss is really pissing me off. I think he's giving me shit. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> oh shit. And along the way, we in order to sort of ease the suffering, and I think suffering is a common, even in, in the joy, the joy is often that we try to pursue pleasure as an antidote to suffering, and it often leads to much, much more suffering. And so in our culture here, it, it's also, and this is why I think Ryan's and my message has resonated with a lot of people, because what we try to do is we realize we have all these weights. We have that backpack we're carrying, and we're like, oh yeah, but if I... I'll carry this, it'll be easier for me to carry if I just surround myself with the right things. If I'm successful, if I have the 300,000 possessions that the average American household has in it, and then that doesn't work for us quite often. And so we think the mistake is, oh, you know, I didn't get enough of the right things, and so now I need more, more, more. And then you get to this point where you get so much where it's like, it still hasn't worked. What's, what's going on? And you realize like, oh, I didn't get the right things. It wasn't a BMW, it was a Mercedes that's going to make me happy. <laughs> and, and then we, we try that for a while. And then unfortunately I find here, here's another thing that happens is people start to, they, they discover minimalism or simplifying or letting go. Or, I, and they think that's the thing that's going to make them happy. If I just get rid of everything, now all of a sudden I'm just going to sit back experience that perpetual bliss that Ryan was talking about during his talk. And quite often people come up to us and they'll say, well, why didn't minimalism make me happy? And it was just another pleasure chase. It was trying to sort of to, to ease the suffering by 
accumulation as opposed to like uncovering the, the work that you're talking about doing is uncovering the, the joy, the peace, the tranquility that's, that's already there. And sitting in the in the chaos, like being okay to sit in your chaos, right. and like if you're an anxious person, if you're a whatever, to realize that it's okay to be to feel your feelings and that they aren't actually going to do harm to you, yeah. like that's a, such a myth. This idea that um, to feel something deeply is somehow going to catastrophically affect your your safety. Mm. And it's like everybody runs from those feelings, you know, everybody. And, and, and so it's like, and then we find meditation or we do whatever, anything kind of sit within that. But even then it's like the world moves so fast and we have so much information, information is in quotes, that we don't need, right? It, it's like the, you are the universe. Like we each, our individuals are the centers of our universe. And at the same time, we're interconnected with each other in this way that's like magical and supportive and fucking incredible. And so if you can find a way to realize that you matter and that you're the only thing that matters and at the same time you don't matter at all, like, and you realize then that most of our problems are self-generated. Um, and I say this as a privileged person. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm a straight white man, lived my whole fucking life having the door be opened for me and getting, I never, I was never told to shh, quiet or, you know, all that stuff. So I speak only from my own experience, but I, I, we make up a lot of shit no matter where we are, you know, no matter what, where in the strata we are. I've just realized that everybody create, not everybody, but we create so much of the pain yeah. for ourselves. And most of it is sort of this safe pain that we can do safely and we can, and we don't actually have to deal with the feelings which feel treacherous and like dark and forever heavy, right? So we deal with the superficial on top and then we solve that by buying things or going trips and, or, you know, Instagram pictures of fucking vacations or whatever. It's like all that stuff <laughs> is just like, it, it, it's just, and we are in a, we are, and, and we happen to be straddling, most of us here are straddling the age where it's new, like my kid kind of dials out a lot of it. You know, she's 11, it, it hits her, but she's self-aware enough to be like, yeah, that's, it, it, she gets it, but she's able to filter out. We live in a generation where we, it's hard to filter out because we're straddling the line of like, well, we used to do it like this, now we do it like this, and then we're like, oh my, or when I talk to my dad and he's like, the news, we're in deep shame, dad, turn the fucking news off. Like, what is your problem? You don't need it. Like, but he, he can't stand to be without that kind of information because it gives him a feeling of, of awareness and being dialed in and power and a sense of like knowledge. And that's, all these are perverted terms, like knowledge and information and it's fucked up, but. Well, we, we moralize all of these terms as though it's good to have knowledge. It's good to have information, but like you drink from that fire hose of information and it quite often just leads to discontent, misery, stress, overwhelm. And then we, we do all of these different things. You know, you talked about these different forms of consumerism, whether it's the Instagram vacation or the buying things. But another one that I think, and you're particularly adept at writing about this, is in a way it's relationship consumerism. Oh, yeah. There, there's this, um, this feeling that like, oh, if I just had the right people around me or right person in my life, all of a sudden that, you know, I mean, and it's so insidious that it's part of, you know, pop culture. You complete me is sort of like... <laughs> 
commonly accepted, right? <laughs> it's the worst. And, and, and by the way, all these great pop songs are kind of about that. Oh, it's, it's all in movies, all the movies we love. It's like this terribly tired idea that like, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be this. Com- and I've been in a relationship for 30 years with my wife. Wow. And like, she is the, she is a, the, one of the greatest, probably the single greatest human being I've ever known. And I truly would not be who I am if it wasn't for her. But we are two fucking individuals in a relationship hurtling and having two very different experiences even though we're having it together because that's just how it works. Her interpretation of something, no matter how long we've been together and how deeply rooted we are as humans, her, relation, her experience to something is completely different than my experience to something. That is such a wild concept that like we can be in the Beatles, the, we're the fucking Beatles. And, and, and people say, well, those are the only four dudes who know what it's like to be in the Beatles. And it's like, no, those are the only four dudes who know what it's like to be. John Lennon knows what it's like to be John Lennon in the Beatles. Paul McCartney knows what, you know, it's like, it's in, we are individual people processing. And that's the other part of living that's so difficult is trying to, trying to communicate with other people who have different definitions of love, different definitions of strength, different definition of connection, partnership, all these different terms coming down the different shoots into the same pile. And then you're sp- and they're like, okay, make it work. Yeah. You're a society. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Matt, we're going we're gonna to answer some questions here. What kind of, so obviously you've got minimalism questions, consumerism questions, relationship questions, creative questions as well. And so feel free to start lining up. Here's what happens. One person breaks the seal and then we can never get to the cascade of people who come up to the microphone. So now is your chance. Uh, don't say I didn't warn you. But um, Matt, before we, before we answer the first question here, I thought we would talk a bit about, about writing and, and creativity because um, it seems to me that for a long time, you know, you've been doing this for a while, you know, you were an overnight success 15 years into yeah, your yeah. career, yeah. right? And, um, and then you had this song come out, you know, that you played earlier today that, that sort of changed the trajectory of things. I imagine there was a moment in your career at that moment where it was like, okay, I guess this is, what I, this is everything I ever wanted, but then getting everything you ever wanted wasn't necessarily what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was more like I don't think I enjoyed the the ride of how wonderful it was at the time. Yeah. I just spent so much time stressing about how is this going to continue? How am I going to, you know, instead of just enjoying the experience, which is I still do this in my everyday life, like enjoying the drive over here, enjoying brushing my teeth, enjoying the way the shower feels. Yeah. I, I wasted a good deal of this sort of successful moment by sort of not, by, by sort of looking past it and being like, okay, what's next? I've got to be driven. I've got to do this thing. Yeah. And, and at 50 or 48, whatever the hell I am, you know, you, you realize that like, well, I could have really, it would have been nice to have been able to downshift into like second and just experience it in this way. And there were moments, but, but, it, but I felt like I missed quite a bit of it, you know, in that way. Yeah, no, I think that's important because our whole life sort of passes us by because we're constantly looking at the horizon. And Ryan and I have noticed that with this whole minimalism thing too, it's constantly just just pausing and, and, and recognize like, oh my God, I, don't, I can't believe we get to do this. 
dude, it's great. Yeah. We get to sit together and you guys, you, we, you guys get to sit. We all hang out and com- commune and it's like, and people know shit you say this is sponsored by and they respond with what, it's like, I was sitting back there and I was like, oh man, it's so fun. Like, this is such a fun thing, human interaction and like, and togetherness. Do you know what I mean? Like where that, that generates an energy that you can't really get anywhere else and we're really fortunate to be able to be a part of this thing, you know? So, Thank you all for being here tonight. Howdy. What's your name? Sean Mitchell. Hey, Sean. What's on your mind, brother? Um, We've texted before, Josh. Uh, Look, isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, it's real. He really does respond. That's a real thing. You're not the one who sent me a dick pic, right? Uh, (laughs) That was my brother's dick. (laughs) It was incredibly beautiful, by the way. He showed me upstairs. There's like an elbow in it or something. It's like an elbow. It turns a corner. science. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is really an unbelievable penis. Those are the only messages Josh responds to. Um, uh, sexting, mostly. No. Um, you guys are fun. I don't know. I've been uh, listening the last three months, two hours every night. I think I text you that. Huh? Oh, wow. But um, I drove two and a half hours to get here. My wife's uh, 30 weeks pregnant. She called me a fanboy. But she is, uh, I, I, it's a badge of honor. Oh, that's really awesome. Is. Did you and drag her out here? Uh, yeah, well, she's uh, really into it. She, okay, okay. She's a, she's a really good supporter, and cool. uh, she helped, yeah. That's amazing. So I have kind of a funny question. Um, and Josh, you have a little Ella. So uh, do you know um, Elsa from Frozen? Yeah. I was hoping she could become the official Disney princess of the minimalists because she sings Let It Go. Yes, yes. Right. Could, could that be a thing? I yeah, thankfully, Ella like, sings Let It Go, but yeah. it's usually as she's like accumulating things. Yeah. <laughs> She doesn't really, like, correlate the message. Yeah. To, yeah. That's it. It's just a stupid <laughs> Sean, you're the best. Thank you, Thanks brother. Thanks a lot, man. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, my daughter's eight, and um, I-, I will tell you, one of the proudest moments I've had as a father is when she came to me one day, because we never were like, oh, we're going into your room, and we're starting to take your stuff out now, and you have to get... You know, you can only own 12 toys because statistically, uh, <laughs> let me explain uh, delayed gratification. Anyway, um, she came to me and her mom one day and she had this box of toys she had brought from her room because she sees it. We have like this donation box by the door and she sees that her mom and I put things into the box from time to time. And so she came out with a box. She goes, hey, do you think any other kids would want to play with these toys I'm not playing with anymore? Oh. Oh. And it's just in that moment, because I can't tell her to do that. You know, our friend Rob Bell says that um, your kids are, are always listening, and sometimes it's to your words. But they're always paying attention to what you're doing. Howdy, what's your name? My name is Megan Rolamis. We've also texted, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Hey, Megan. Um, I'm here with my mom as well, and she's very happy to be here. (laughs) Um, So I am, I've recovered from like um, an eating disorder and gone through like body image struggles, and I've become a food and body image coach over the last couple of years to help other people as well. Um, And I know you guys grew up with, you know, like similar experiences, and especially growing up together. I was just wondering if any part of your minimalist journey, whether it was getting rid of clothes or again, like the self relationship, like has any part of your journey, whether together or separate, been helpful in like your body image and your health 
and things like that. Yeah. I, I used to weigh 80 pounds more than I weigh now. And um, I remember that I lost a bunch of weight, but I was holding on to, I was, wasn't a minimalist yet, but I, I was holding on to all of these like shirts that were three or four sizes too big for me. And it was like the ultimate just in case item. I, I guess just in case I plan on gaining a bunch of weight, but then also being out of style three years from now, <laughs> then I guess I'll hold on to these, you know, and we... Um, we sort of buy these, uh, we were just talking to Karen from NAPO, uh, the National Association, she back there? Oh yeah, hey NAPO! Uh, the National Association of Professional Organizers, they're, they're here tonight. Uh, we gave a talk at one of their conferences a few years ago, and um, they get it. Like, most of us don't understand, like, you don't want to organize your stuff. We, we go to the container store, and we buy all these clutter coffins, and then we just hide a bunch of our things, and then we turn our houses into mausoleums of dead stuff. And and that's kind of what I did with the, but it also meant I was in a way clinging to that version of myself. And when I let go of the, the oversized clothes, those remnants of my past, similar to what Matt was saying, I was like taking the things out of my metaphorical backpack, I no longer identified with that person anymore. I was a heavy set kid my whole life, and so I'm still a heavy set adult, you know, in my mind. That's how it works. And uh, as and and uh, I, I've struggled every day of my life with my body, every day. And uh, and I find that letting go, to quote, <laughs> that, that the most important thing to let go of now at this point, for me, is the idea, right? The idea of like. And I probably say to myself, I'm fat, or to say it out loud, you know, 10 times a day. Like, truly, just like, oh, I'm fat, I'm fat, fuck, I'm fat. I gotta lose some weight, I'm fat. I'm also a compulsive person, so it adds to the fun. But, <laughs> but I find, like, that particular rock that I carry in my backpack is, like, way down at the bottom. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you, no matter what you kind of peel out, that, that image and that idea shows up I mean, in everything I think, it's like Princess and the Pea. It like lives under the mattresses and you don't even know it. And then there are moments where you lose weight if you're, you know, I, I got shingles um, a couple of years ago really bad and I got it around my midsection and I'm convinced that like I fucking willed it to happen in the place that I hate the most. <laughs> and that it was like from neglect of like, you know what I mean? And, I, and, and, um, and so loving, you know, your body, and that's such an important part of the minimalist's idea, is like, what ideas aren't working for me anymore, and how do I carry them, and how do they just sort of decimate me slowly over the day, the years, all that stuff. So that's my, I don't even know if I answered your question, but I, I commiserate with you in that way. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, man. You know, I was thinking about um, when I did that packing party, like afterwards I was going through all my stuff, and I had made the mistake of buying clothes that were too small, like, because they would be on sale, and I'd try it on, and I'm like, oh, it's like, it almost fits, but I'm going to go ahead and get it just for, you know, when I lose that however many pounds, and uh, yeah, like, had a ton of clothes with tags still on them, trying them on, and I'm just like, what the hell was I thinking? Um, yeah, I had to let those go, but I'll, I'll tell you, the, the beautiful thing about this whole journey that we've been on is I really have learned how to uh, 
just like love who I am, like look in the mirror and be like, yes. Like I, and it's not like in this cocky, you know, egotistical way. It's like, it's a truly like connection with myself where I'm like, dude, like I fucking love you, man. And it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah. We only got one meat suit. We got to love it for the rest of our lives. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Amen. One meat suit. That's the name of the next book. Meat suit. Yeah. Yeah. Only one meat suit. (laughs) But you you know, to get to that, to get to that love for, for, for who I am, it really started with, well, it started with that packing party. Like that's where the minimalists.com started. It was with that whole story. And what I realized was like, oh, wow. Uh, if you were to ask me, hey, Ryan, what are your priorities? I would have told you like, well, good health and, you know, relationships, and cultivating passion, growing, contributing. But when I looked at all those piles of stuff that I had still sitting in those boxes, I'm like, that, I was just giving all that stuff lip service. And now I really go out of my way, you know, for my actions to align with those values. And, and like that is, it's a very simple recipe, but we all know like simple is not easy. Um, but, but those actions aligning with my values, that's what has led me to this, um, yeah, to, to like really love on myself. And it's taken me a long time to just accept that like I have a very big chest. I'm very broad shouldered. There's nothing I can do about it. So, um, yeah, I've learned to embrace that for Boo-hoo. sure. Boo-hoo. <laughs> oh, I have big, broad shoulders. I can't help I got these biceps. <laughs> oh, my jaw is so masculine. It's a burden. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Great, thank you. Thanks so much. Howdy, what's your name? Hello, I'm Donnell McGee. It's good to be here. Also a fanboy. Big uh, fan. Big awesome, fan. man. Thanks, Thanks for being here, man. It's good to be here. So my question is, um, we talked about the metaphor of the backpack, and, you know, for me, you know, I'm 52 years old now, and I remember, you know, saw you guys about six years ago, like the podcast, hearing you for the first time, and had all this shit I was carrying around in my life, you know, from addiction to the childhood trauma, also a poet, Nate, as you said, the poetry, the writing, I know you both write also. So my question is, how do you use your creative side, the writing, the poetry, the music, to balance that with minimalism, and how has that helped you achieve, you know, where you are now? Because... Uh, I did the same thing. It really helped me a lot to use your words, your motivation, and to really begin to see how minimalism, when you, get it, when you can drop the backpack yeah. and find out what's really important. And you were saying also, Ryan, like inside. You know, I've been great on the outside, like being a great motivator, you know, but also at times not really going inside and feeling like shit inside, yeah. you know, in the past. So I just wanted to put that out there. How do you balance the creative side, the poetry, the music to really use minimalism also to be who you are? That makes sense. It does, yeah. You, to get into that insight, I love how earlier you brought up going to therapy. And it's, it's funny because in, in America, like, it's, it's, so, it's totally socially acceptable. Like, yeah, I go, I go to therapy. I got a great therapist. Um, but I'll tell you, for, like, the first 20-something years of my life, I avoided therapy because I was like, I'm not that guy. I don't need therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. The stigma. It, yeah, there's, like, a stigma behind it. Yeah. But you know, you know what really, like, broke my barrier down to that and made me open to it? It was Tony Soprano. <laughs> I like loved the Sopranos and he it always opened up with him and his therapist and he's just like unloading all and I'm like yeah I'm like, gonna I'm gonna tell them I killed people yeah, right. no, no, I totally hear like <laughs> oh man I'm like I, I was like you know I want to like you know beat Tony Soprano I'm like yeah I'm gonna get a therapist and tell him all my shit and I did, and it helped so much. But like, I bring that up because that 
is, is one of the best tools that one can have in the toolbox as a good therapist because they can help you. Like you were talking about those boxes. They can help you like, A, discover that box. Like I've had therapists show me a box I didn't even know was there. And then they help you kind of open it and unpack it. Yeah, the mind that creates the problem can't solve the problem. Uh, and that's just how it is. It's a fucking bummer. I would love to be able to be independent. Yeah. <laughs> but you really can't. It's like you create the puzzle and it's impossible. And so things like journaling, um, which is a creative outlet, um, it's incredible to be able to get the things that are in your brain down in a way that you can actually get them out. It's like we talked about constipation, but it's a lot like shitting. You know, it's like if you are not shitting, it's a, it's a tough week. And so essentially, like, if you can't shit every day or twice a day... And it's the same thing with your brain, yeah? It's like, if your brain is tangled, it's got a shit. And if you write it out, or you're able to bounce it off an impartial person who actually has a skill set based in helping you referee with your brain, then that's a way to sort of flush the system. Okay. <laughs> Why is it always poop with you? I just love poop and sex. Sometimes together. What? Hey, no. I'm just kidding. There's websites. No, I'm good. Shh. Quiet. I explained to my daughter what a shirt was the other day. Oh, my kid said shirt. Oh, kid... she, she, she's never heard anything funnier in her oh, life. Oh, my kid loves the shirt. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. What have I done? I mean, I, I, I write books, so it's a lot different from what Matt writes, and I'm, I'm uh, forever envious of his abilities um, to just, in a single sentence, like, sum up an entire universe. There's something that's uh, in a line that could otherwise be perceived as a throwaway line, but then all of a sudden, it brings you to this place. It, it's like a teleporter in a way, right? And just the right lyric. I remember, when did uh, the Bill Murray song come out? What year was that? 2015? 20, uh, they're all so confusing now, the years. Yeah. <laughs> probably four years ago, maybe. Yeah, four I was five. driving with my wife when that album first came out, and we were, that, that song came on. We were just listening to the whole thing. And um, I look over, and it's just tears all. Her shirt is soaking wet. And, and it's, uh, I mean, it was like a perfect moment, right? And so part of that is, like, it takes a lot. You create a whole lot of sediment so you can pan for gold. I teach a writing class, and that's kind of what I talk about is, it, as the writer, you, your, your job is to do, to do both, to create the sediment, which most of which you're going to discard, because then you are left with, with that moment. The sediment idea, so from a creative standpoint, I call it, there's not, again, bodily functions, but the puking and, the ref and then the sort of refining. And so the two can't really meet. Like what you're saying is like, the puking phase has to be done by itself. You can't think about what's going down in the process, right? Because that's you just sort of untwisting. And then later, if you want to mine through it and find the moments that really feel exciting, that can happen, but... That's what's so great about art, and that's what's so great about communication, which is an art in and of itself. It's like to be able to feel, um, to feel seen through, and so the only way from an artist's perspective, um, and we're all artists, I truly believe it, the only way is to be as honest as you can be, and in the process of doing that, you're being as honest with yourself as you can be, and then other people can find the moments for themselves in that thing, and that's really the places where we don't feel alone, which is what you're talking about, which is why music is so 
visceral and so magical and why movies and but in poetry but music does it because it cheats it's got melody it's got lyric it's got uh, beat and so it can sort of like infiltrate you in this way and so it's just about honesty and and we again talk about stigma there's people being honest they get the shit their asses handed to them in this society like as honest as you can be and then it's like it either gets it it gets sort of swept up into like a movement or whatever you know what i mean it's like it can't just be humans being who they are and being accepted by other people there has to be so much fear based uh, 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 you know in the person that's listening that then has to put that fear on other people it's fucking exhausting you know But the last thing I'll say about writing is that there's a, it's sort of this exchange of consciousness in a way. And I think music does this beautifully because a lot of songs are in second person. So, and you don't see a lot of other writing outside of music that's written in second person all the time. So it's, you know, it's always singing about you. And so it's almost as though the singer himself or herself is connecting to the listener directly in a way. And uh, I don't know if there's a shortcut there, but because you're, you're sort of env you're envisioning a sort of hypothetical you or there's a specific you, but you also realize that if there's going to be an audience here, that, that there's a, a broader you that is, is listening to this as well. So there's this, it's a beautiful thing. Like there's an exchange of consciousness. You, you can have a, uh, you know, a, a, a Bob Dylan song from 40 years ago that you hear for the first time today, and it transcends the, the generations, the decades, whatever it might be, and it goes right into your consciousness. Even long after he's, he's going to be gone, that music will stick around, and still you'll have that exchange of consciousness. And I think any, any great writing has the ability to do that. Thank you. Thank Thanks. You. Thanks. Howdy. What's your name? Madison. Hey, Madison. What's on your mind? Nice to meet you. So um, this is my first time being here. Uh, I actually used to run the Bay Area Minimalist Group for you. For a oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, and I had a question about intentionalism in business. So I run a non-essential business, and I find that it goes against my minimalism because candle making and self-care products are some of the biggest waste-producing products that we we make and we constantly go through you know because we're always using face creams and we're always using stuff candles is one of the things that I make and it's a lot of waste mm. so um, I'm not sure if you've answered this question before but how would you combine intentional minimalism with a wasteful non-essential business mm. <laughs> so so here's what I'll say about essential and non-essential you know, in fact, in, in the book, we have, this, uh, we have these 16 rules for living with less, and they're not real, really rules. They're just different boundaries Ryan and I have set up in our own lives. One of those rules is called the no junk rule, and it basically goes like this. Everything you own can fit in one of three piles. So if you have 100,000 items or you have 100 items, everything you own can fit in one of three piles. It's either essential, it's junk, or it's somewhere in the middle where it's a non-essential item, but it adds value to your life. Now, Ryan and I aren't essentialists. Like, we're, we're not in the sense that we don't only own that which is truly essential to us. I have a couch, and strictly speaking, I could live without owning a couch. But it adds value to my life. And so that couch isn't essential, but does it add value to my life, to my family's life? Do we enjoy having a dining room table? Do we like having a blender? Yes. 
And so we do, even though they are non-essentials, technically, right? The problem is, if you're burdened by it because you might believe or you're conflating non-essentials with junk, usually the opposite is true. Most of us cling to all of these things because we say, oh, yeah, yeah, but I, I get some sort of value from it, or I will on some non-existent hypothetical future, right? And so, yeah, if it's junk to you, then I'd probably find a different path to go. But if you're providing something that adds value to other people's lives, kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. The, and, like, I don't know, I, I, I'm definitely brand new to the, most of this whole, you know what I mean? Like, but... I would say the thing to get rid of is the weight that you have around the thing you do. Like, it's like for you to come up and kind of say, well, I do this thing and it's kind of non, it's like, to me, and this is like armchair theorist stuff, but it's like, that's where the problem is, is that you have this doubt and, and weight around something that sounded totally awesome to me. We need fucking light, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like if you're, if you're making like hamburgers at McDonald's, right? Like that has no, no caloric intake and is like poison. Then it's like, yeah, I'm probably doing something I shouldn't be doing. But like making fucking candles and like face creams sounds awesome. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that, and I'm again, like just, I think you just fucking, if it's what you love, lean in. Do you know what I mean? And that's it. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Uh, I was, uh, for Christmas, I was back in Ohio with some family and my brother, um, <laughs> yeah, Ohio. <laughs> oh man. So my brother, he's like, he's like, you know, you know, what you, you know what you guys should do? You guys should make t-shirts and sell them. You should put your logo on a t-shirt and sell it. And I'm like, and I just looked at him, I'm like, dude, we're the minimalists. And he was like, well, what, you wouldn't sell them because you're a minimalist? I'm like, it's not necessarily that as much as, like, I, I can't make a better T-shirt than, than another company. If, if I felt like we could somehow make the best T-shirt ever, like, m maybe I could, you know, justify it then. But, like, you know, just adding stuff into the world doesn't align with my values. So all that to say is, is you know, uh, yeah, if you like what you do and you're making good quality stuff, like, it, it's not really up to you to decide if it's adding value to other people's lives or not. If you enjoy doing it, that's great. You know, I remember, like, again, in Ohio, like, driving down 75 from, from Dayton to Cincinnati. And I would sit there in traffic, and I'm going to, like, my retail stores, and I'm just sitting there in traffic, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I hate what I'm doing. And, like, there, there's nothing about this, very little about this aligns with, with what I value. The one piece of it that... Um, I enjoyed, it was the, the management. It was like taking that employee who I was going to fire and I'm like, hey, let's sit down and like really, if you care about this job, let's talk about how we can turn this around. And then like one, one, you know, one employee ended up winning like employee of the month a couple months later. That was the part that I really liked. So I'm sitting there in traffic and I'm like, man, if I could just find a way to help people for, for, for you know, a living or whatever, like that's really what I wanna do. And I, I, I totally concentrated on that. And when this minimalist, minimalism thing came about, I'm like, oh, wow, like there's a story here that we can share that I know will help people. And now, you know, 10 years later, here we are. But what I've realized is that no matter what job we do, it doesn't matter what job anyone is, we're all helping people. 
even the, the person making the burgers. Like, well, yeah, that's the other thing is I'd speak like the person making the burgers is making money to feed their family. It's like, the whole, you know, if it's like we just, uh, it's so hard to not get tangled up in the minutia of life. It's so much simpler. And like you said, but simple is not always easy. It's so much simpler than we always make it. Like it's, a, it's just the fact of the human is that this muscle, like the lungs breathe all the time. We go to sleep and they do their job. The heart pumps, hopefully, and everything. And the brain is just the same thing. It's just making shit up because that's its job. And it spends the whole time doing it. It just spins. And you only need it 10% of the time, but it's still fucking manufacturing bullshit. Just like your lungs are manufacturing, you know, it's like, and it's just doing it. And then we start to get, because we, for whatever reason, we start paying attention to it and then it becomes something important. And then we're like running around in circles by, our, by this thing that is just like such a fucking useless tool. You know, you only need it like a hammer. It's like using a hammer to put up a window. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. It's like, it's like the only tool you have is your brain and you try and think your way out of shit and it's just a disaster of broken windows. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, That's a great song title. <laughs> disaster of broken windows. But really, like, just to put, like, what I'm trying to say is, is if, if this is the way that you like to help people, awesome. Like, that's totally cool. Like, that's the question. Is this, is this the way that you want to help people? If so, then keep making your candles. When my cat takes a, a very bad morning poo, candles change the game. I want you to know that. He's just doing his thing. He's just a little furry man, you know, showing up. And like what you do changes the game for the whole house. <laughs> Thank you for your question. <laughs> Thanks. Howdy. Hi, I'm Lucy. I am one of the professional organizers here today. Hey, Lucy. And I have a question for you guys about an experience we might have in common, which is how do you guys process the sheer amount of human suffering that comes at you as the minimalists, especially when that suffering may come as a surprise to the people who are feeling that suffering. Because I know that I'm not a psychotherapist. People don't come to me saying, I've got problems. People come to me saying, I want my closet to look pretty. And then when they get to the suffering part, it's pretty tough. Yeah. The thing's never about the thing, right? And so the cleaning of the closet or the organizing of the closet, what I like about what professional organizers do is they realize the easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. And we, we, as civilians, don't realize that. And we're just like, oh, I'll make it look pretty, right? Not realizing we're actually covering up a lot of the suffering that you're talking about. And so, in a way, when you start helping them let go of this excess stuff, quite often it makes things worse for a period of time. When you pull the stuff out of the backpack, and you, now you realize, like, oh, shit, I have to do something with this now, right? Oh, you know, earlier you talked about like avoiding those emotions and in a way we try to avoid suffering and an understanding that I've kind of uh, come, uh, come to have over the last decade is I used to, I used to um, try and avoid all the shit. Like, I mean, I think about this time I was in Ireland and we were hiking and uh, going through this field to get to this like abandoned castle and it was rainy and there were cow pies everywhere, and it was muddy, and it was just miserable. And I'm like trying to like 
avoid, you know, just getting as much of this crap, some literal crap off of me, keeping it off of me as much as possible. And then finally, I just, I just accepted it. I'm like, dude, like, there, is no, there is no avoiding it. And that's kind of how I look at um, trauma. Like, it's not, to me now, it's not about avoiding it. It's not about like, oh, how, um, how, how can I keep this stuff from coming up? It's more about how do I walk with it? How, how can I uh, just walk through that field and not care? And so when it comes to other people's trauma, the way to do that is to really hold space for them. There isn't a way to solve it. There's not a way to fix it. But there is something there that you can do, which is just hold space for them. Sometimes that's listening. If they're asking questions, they answer the questions. But I know I used to always come from this place of having to fix everything. And that's kind of the problem is fixing. There is no fixing. It's about how do you hold space for it. Well, and also, again, I don't know really what you... So you're saying you've, you help people organize their stuff, and in the process they kind of fall apart. And then you're... Yeah, it's just you're just in a high... Like your your job is like a psychotherapy. I mean, it's essentially a similar concept. And so, for you to be able to have an outlet, you know, again, I would think that that's super important. And for you to be able to pace yourself in a way that allows you to like not be breached by it, you know, and continue. It's really about how it's landing on you, and you'd have to be made of fucking steel to not take it on, you know. And so. It's just about you then finding uh, someone who can then help you process and then also drawing boundaries, which is really hard in a way where you're able to be empathetic and be there for somebody, but at the same time, you know the place that you get full and then you're able to... It's again, it's like, it's gonna, I would think it would be a constant because every individual has a different way of drowning you out or, you know what I mean, or, be, you know, getting to it. So that's a, you've got quite a job. Yeah. What you're doing is, is noble. You're easing some suffering here. And I will say this, it's actually much, much more interwoven into the fabric of our society than you realize. There's so much suffering. In fact, I think when you get down to it, it's all running from suffering. It's not even the pursuit of, of pleasure or the, it's in our you know, founding documents, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, no, no. It's life, liberty, and running as fast as hell as you can from suffering. That's really what we're doing. And well, why is that? Because we're terrified of who we are. And so we try to become someone else. We try to get all the stuff, and when there's too much stuff, we try to be the type of person who has an organized closet, as though that's going to solve my problems. No, of course not. It's fine to have an organized closet, right? But that's not going to ease the suffering, but it might make room to recognize the suffering, and you might help them see that. So kudos to you for doing that. Thank you, Liz. Howdy. 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 What's your name? Rex. Hey, Rex. Hey, with my sister, Sonia, who's a huge Matt Nathanson fan. Oh, I'm uh, going to sign it later. Holy shit. That's a CD. <laughs> yes. I love it. I still, I still have that. Oh, my God. No, that's awesome. <laughs> so I want to uh, take a quick second to say thank you both for inspiring and conveying a helpful message that gratefully changed my life, and I'm sure other people in this room tonight, and minimalism has helped declutter the noise and help focus taking a clear path on my journey of self-discovery. So my question for all three of you is, I have multiple family members and coworkers that feel like life is short and they want to live in the now, spend all the money or swipe away 
while they earn it and just buy, 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 no matter if they use it once and don't really need it, does any of it or all of these statements raise red flags? And if so, what would you say to those folks to help them see a better way to live a more meaningful life? I'm going to sound cold. <laughs> People don't want to be taught unless they tell you they want to be taught, and even then they don't want to be taught. <laughs> yeah. The only way to live your life is to live your life the way you need to live it, and to live it in that way shows them as, as an example that if they decide they do want to follow something, you can be an example to them, but you can spend your entire life trying to teach people shit that they don't want to fucking learn. And, and, you know, we could pick it apart and say the idea of living in the now is perverted into thinking that means I have to buy things, I have to work on a, re a, a reactionary impulse, right? Which is the, actually the opposite of living in the now, right? So the idea, and we could analyze that whole thing, right? Like, well, I feel like I want to live in the now and that means I'm going to do this and this and this. And it's like being reactionary is not living in the now. So you've already canceled that out. But I understand, but I got to say just fundamentally, like I leave people by the side of the road often. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and I can't fucking, I can't stress how important it is. Like, it doesn't mean that you're not there for them in a certain way if they need you, but like, you f talk about shit you're dragging with you. Drag my whole fucking family with me, you know what I mean? Like, and, and doesn't mean, again, like, and I'm not trying to be cold about it. It doesn't mean you don't have empathy. It doesn't mean you don't show up if they need you to show up. But the idea is like, you need to live for you and you need to create space for yourself that's satisfying. And if people around you are doing things, and this is the other thing about self-awareness that's, and I talk like I have it, but like when you have, there's an, there's an idea behind self-awareness that as soon as you start to critically think, you realize that you are surrounded. It's why zombie movies exist, because most people aren't. Right, and they're just fucking going through the motions and just swallowing things and just reacting and just processing. And it's like, if you can come at them with love and empathy and kindness and at the same time, put your boundaries up and don't fucking stand for it when they wanna breach you and give you shit, it's just really important. It's all about you. Like, I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree, man. Like you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. And the worst thing we can do is beat ourselves up over the fact that they don't want to be helped. But I I agree, like you you've gotta set the example, you gotta show them the benefits. And if they see them and they're interested, they will ask. Uh if not, then they won't, and that's okay. Um Josh and I we talk about uh in, in the relationships chapter. If you want to strengthen a relationship, especially with someone who is, you know, kind of living the opposite of the way you're living, the, the first step is to, is to tolerate them. That's a very weak virtue, but it's a great first step to have a little bit of, of, of tolerance. And then uh, after that, you can maybe move on to acceptance. So now it's tolerating them and then accepting them like that is who they are. That's the person that they are. And then maybe you can even get to a point of respecting their, per, their perspective. I know for me, like I'm constantly, especially for, with people I don't understand, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes to really respect their, their point of view and, and their position. Um, and then uh, the last step, it's, it's an acronym, TARA, T-A-R-A. Uh, the last step is to appreciate that person for who they are. And that is really where love comes in. 
Because love is really to see someone for who they are, warts and all. To try and change someone, that's, that's kind of unloving them in a way. So, um, yeah, I, I would work towards appreciating like those, those differences and, and living the best life you've, you can. And if they have questions, they'll ask. My, I, I see it all the time. Like, I have family members who, in the beginning, when you, know, when you call yourselves the minimalists, like, you really find out quickly who the supportive people are in your life. And, and there were some family members who, like, were totally, like, just didn't get it, and that's okay. Um, I didn't make them feel bad. I didn't, you know, I didn't go around and be like, you have to have a packing party. You need to be a minimalist. Um, I just lived my life. And some of those family members, most of those family members, have done a complete 360. We're like, now when I see them, they're asking questions. They're interested. And, I mean, it's taken 10 years to get there. But, um, but if you stay consistent, like, you will get there. Yeah, and, it, and, and the idea of, um, and just real quickly to like max, to go w- real broad, this is the problem that we're having as a society is like nobody wants to give anybody else their thoughts on the thing that isn't the way that their thoughts are. And it's like, and it's a, it's a fundamental problem. It's a Hatfields and a McCoy situation where nobody wants to give an inch to the person that is an anti-vaxxer or, and myself included, I'm a fucking asshole. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to people that are like, well, I don't believe in vaccination. It's like, you know, I can react very strongly in those situations, but it's like, this is a human being who has, it's like, and I get that what they're, what they do has echoes of how it, then it affects other people. But like it, 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 it's, it's not a them versus us. It's like we are all broken toys trying to make it through this fucking life. And, and that's the idea, is like trying not to elevate the self over the other person, but to accept the other person as you would want them to accept you. And it's like, and to keep things small, life has to be way smaller. Like you were saying about, when you first talked about um, the idea of, well, I'm taking on this, how do you not take on the world's suffering? It's like, from a, from a macro perspective, we, we, we shouldn't have to worry about what happens in fucking other places that aren't. It's like our body, our brains, we're not equipped to take on fucking tragedy right. to the extent that we take on tragedy in this culture. It's just we're just not equipped. It's like it's terrible. And so you have to limit what you, it's like, it's, it's essentially you have to, a diet, which is a terrible word. You just have to filter the things that you take in, the nutrition that you take in. It's like what it is, same in your family, same in your immediate, you gotta figure out what to take and what to leave and let it not fucking stick to your fur. Max, their burdens are not your burdens. And um, it's really hard because we wanna help people, we wanna fix things for people. I'm a problem solver, right? There's a line in in the book, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. (laughs) I'll let you sit with that for a while. Thanks for your question. Hi there, my name's Diana, nice to meet you. Hey Diana, what's on your mind? Well, first off, just wanna say thank you so much for your content. Um, My sister, she's actually here today and we're very big fans, so we're just very appreciative, so thank you so much. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. So my husband and I, uh, we've been minimalist for about five years now. He's actually here as well. And everything we have, everything we own, it fits in an eight by eight storage unit. And it's been there uh, because we've been traveling for six months already. Uh, But in two days, Sunday actually, we're moving into our brand new apartment and we're actually expecting a baby as well. 
So oh, thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you so much. So my question is, um, what advice do you have as we transition into the next part of our lives together, and especially as we continue our minimalist lifestyle? I don't have any advice for you, but um, I have some observations. Uh, what, what, you're, you're here, obviously. It sounds like you have a lot of things. For, it sounds like she has more figured out than we do. <laughs> uh, what, uh, is there something you're struggling with in particular, or are you just a little, there's some uncertainty here? Well, I guess we're going to be moving all our items into the new apartment, and we decided to lay it all out into the living room and declutter a lot of it because we feel like it's just accumulated a little bit. And then after we declutter and sort what we're going to donate, to actually store things and organize them in the places that they belong. Mm. And with, with the baby coming and, and people wanting to give us gifts, whatever it may be, just how do we progress into just this new stage of life, basically? Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the making of the little person is so important in this, th this fun thing. Um, I'm a rule person, uh, whether I like it or not, right? My brain likes to make order, likes to make rules, okay? Nothing, um, nothing is a destroyer of rules more strongly than a little person. <laughs> it's like their only fucking purpose <laughs> is to come into the world and shit on your face you know what I mean? When you're like, you know, you're changing the diaper and you're like, how did it get on the wall? You know, there's this beautiful, there's a beautiful thing that happens with kids, which is there's a wonder and there's an innocence and there's a recklessness and there's a fucking like sprawling thing. And, and it, and I have found that it goes quite against my desire and my illusion of control and my desire for things to have a place. And so the only thing I could recommend is to um, strap in and unstrap, right? Sort of both. It's like strap in for the unstrapping because you're not going to be able to get the goddamn bar before the fucking gondola goes over the cliff. Do you know what I mean? You're going to be, and it's like, and that is the beauty of children. That is like their, that is the beauty of it. So just like yeah. get ready to just like, Yeah. It is the, it's, the, it's like that scene in Parenthood where Steve Martin is watching the play fall apart, right? His kid's up there and it's a disaster and everybody's <laughs> laughing and he's horrified and then he's like, he just fucking surrenders. <laughs> and like, it's, life is about surrender because we just don't control shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it helps, it helps you uh, stay flexible. Like, you know, in my talk, I, I say, you know, the willingness to let go is a superpower. Well, not just of your things, but of the ideas of how you think things should be. So, yes, like you're, you're, you're starting a new chapter and you have it written already, like how you want it to all go. And you're right, it's probably not going to go any, any way you think it's going to oh go. Oh my God, it doesn't. <laughs> I wish it but did. And okay. I, and you, but P.S., we're, we're projecting a lot onto you. You could totally be fucking <laughs> super loose on this, in this respect. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like, I can only say, yeah, that, that it is a fucking shit show. <laughs> the, um, as a parent, my main job is to not screw up my daughter. I mean, it's not to teach her. It's certainly not to make, like, 
we have this weird societal thing about like self-improvement, betterment of oneself. But when you have a baby, like no one in here has had a baby and they said, what are three ways that I can improve this baby? You'd be a total psychopath. But then at some point we feel as though, well, I guess I need to tell them that they should do this and here are the rules that we are supposed to have. If, you're, if you do this well, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to learn so much more from that child than they learn from you. That's if you do it well. Because there's a, a wisdom in children that we unlearn in time. And unfortunately, that's why we're so neurotic. That's why that voice in our head is going crazy all the time. That's why we're telling these stories about, we're telling our story, these stories to ourselves about I need other people's validation or acceptance or I need their approval. I need them to like me, right? And if we can learn from them. We can see them for who they are. As Ryan said, that's what love is. To love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. That's about understanding that other human being. You're going to learn so much more about living from that child than they're going to learn from you. Mm, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. Congratulations, by yeah, the congrats. way. Yeah, congrats. So badass. I, I just love... When I hear, like, like, she and her husband sound like they have an awesome relationship, man. Like, that is, I hope that you two don't take that for granted, because that is, that's a, that's a special thing, that both of you can support each other like that and live intentionally. It's, that, that's awesome. Amen. Yeah. We got time for, I apologize to the entire line, but we have time for at least two more. We'll try to do three. We're actually over on time right now. We'll definitely get to two. We'll shoot for three. Okay. Howdy, what's your name? How's it going, guys? I'm Greg. Hey, Greg. What's on your mind? Uh, so first off, I just want to thank you guys for uh, holding this space for us and continue to hold this space. This is really beneficial to my mental health, and I'm sure to everybody else's mental health here. And uh, second off, um, moral and social responsibility aside, I fully acknowledge that the no hugging shit that fucking sucks. So I'm I'm pretty pretty not happy about that. Um, but I think uh, for the love people use things, this this title of this book really speaks to me, and I think the use things portion of it. I think I got, kind of got that down. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, after uh, Hurricane Sandy, all my material possessions were gone, including photos and all that stuff. Um, so trial by far, fire, that kind of was relieved from me. Um, but the love people aspect, I feel like I'm struggling with a bit. And I think, uh, Matt, you spoke on this uh, coming from two different worlds, uh, people having these different experiences and like having the same experience, but being two different entirely people. Um, loving a person that may speak a different love language than you, I think is something that I've been struggling with and something like an example maybe like, oh, their love language is if you're going out for an errand and um, they want you to pick up a $8 Starbucks, maybe that's not in your, um, that's their love language, but maybe that's not your love language. And how do you meet those two different grounds if you still do really care about these people? Greg, real quick, let me talk about love languages. It, love language is total bullshit. So, um, it, it, but here, they're not completely in the sense that what we really mean are li these are like languages. And so we often conflate three things. In fact, I talk about it a little bit in the book. For any relationship to work, you, you, you tend to have three things. You have 
chemistry, you have compatibility, you have love. Another way to look at that is you have love, you have like, and you have lust, okay? And so an intimate relationship tends to have all three. If you don't have all three, things become yeah, a problem over time. And, and so what you're really talking about are like languages here. There are different ways that you, I want Ryan to show me that he likes me. And there are different ways that I can show him that I like him. Now here's the truth. It's possible to love all of someone and not like every piece of them. And if we understand that, then yes, if your friend or partner or loved one, whoever they are, if, if they would appreciate the fact that you bought an $8 cup of coffee for them and you're willing to do that, okay, why not? But um, if it becomes an expectation, well, your happiness is moderated by your expectations. And so if you want to be miserable, just increase your expectations of everyone around you. I promise you, you'll experience a, the deepest misery you'll ever experience. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tall order, man. But, you know, with the people that we want to love, I mean, the, the first step is kind of, I, I mean, going back to that acronym, Tara, it's tolerating, accepting, um, but just that acceptance piece of it, just understanding like, yeah, I, this isn't how I would like to spend this $8. This is, you know, I got to go out of my way. But hey, it really makes this person happy. I want them to be happy. I want to support them. I want to show them that I love them. So I will get them this, this drink. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something that like right now with, with my wife, Mariah, who's here somewhere. God love her. I love that she can come on these tours with us. Um, we go out of our way to really do things for each other. And I don't really think about whether I like it or not. Like, all I can think is, is like, wow, like Mariah adds so much value to my life that like, I want to do the same thing to her. I want to add as much value as I can. So I don't ever sit there and think like, well, do I approve of like what she wants? It's like, no, this is what she wants. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it to her. And I, I, I look for ways to, to do that for her. Just, it's just about communication, and it's also about realizing that not everybody is everybody's person. Like, I used to think that everybody was kind of like my kind of person, and then I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized that, like, it's a really narrow band. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in realizing that comes a lot of other shit, but really what it comes down to is if you're in an intimate partnership, in a relationship, it's just about communication, and it's about mutual respect. And so you're, you should be allowed to tell them all the most fucked up things going on in your brain, and they should be able to tell you all the most fucked up things that are going on in theirs, and then together you work it through as a unit, and that's what it's all about. And it's like, and so you can say to this person, you know, I know this sounds super crazy, but it fucking vexes me that you want me to spend eight bucks on a drink. And like, and they'll say, well, that's crazy, why? And then you set the, and this is how communication, and this is how hand-to-hand -hand combat exists. Like, this is why we do it. That's all. Hey, Greg, real quick, um, the like part is critical because, well, as long as we're not compromising our values, like who you are as a person, you know, I don't think the $8 latte is really about the $8 latte, right? It's about having different preferences from someone. But love is something that's completely different from that. And so love is not conditional, now, we, we treat it like it is, right? I love my wife, 
as long as she does these seven things in this sequence uh, by this deadline. Well, that's not love. That's, um, that's an employment, employment agreement. Um, and I may not like everything that she does, or I may not like to do everything that she might want me to do for her, for the relationship. But if I'm not compromising my values, I'm willing to, to bend as long as I don't break. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. man. We owe you a hug next time. Yes. Howdy, what's your name? Hello, my name is Mario. Hey, Mario. Hi. Welcome. So, so I'm generally interested about how can you think about this mundane, everyday issue I have with my wife. And we're both minimalists. We're, we, we, we've been forced to be minimalists. We don't have a dumpster fire issue, but we have our own dumpster fire issue, which is moving to San Francisco a few <laughs> years ago. Just I wouldn't call San Francisco a dumpster fire. <laughs> My God, I like this city. Yeah. It's amazing, and it taught us to be minimalist because we came here to make Bay Area figures uh, of money to live in a studio in a shady neighborhood. <laughs> Sounds right. The San Francisco dream. Yeah, and then we're like, well, this is kind of awesome. We just go around and, and have an $8 latte every day, walk our dog in the park. People is awesome. We just... all we realized by not having much was awesome, and then we leaned more into that. So fast forward a few years later, I am like 60, maybe 70% minimalist, but my wife is like 90, 95% minimalist. Uh -huh. So let's see, I have three, three skateboards, and she's like, that's, that's one too many. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's still a long way to go until 300,000 average American. Uh, so what, what do, do you think about that? Like, do, do you use all three skateboards? Yes, in different... Like, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, I, then keep uh, your fucking skateboards. Yeah, man. I mean, he... Yes. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I, I'm, I'm sure you run into this by being around a lot of musicians. Like, I have some musician friends who have, you know, 40 guitars, but they play two of them. Yeah, it's tough. I, I find myself whittling through guitars quite a bit, like in my life, just because I feel like, oh, it's great, but I don't need it, you know, or that kind of thing. But that's all my own. Uh, you know, I, I back anybody, you know, people that I know that have 40 or 45 guitars, I, I back it. You know what I mean? It's like, if that's, what they, if that's how they want to live their life, let them live their life that way, I get to look at it or, you know, and so... Um, so you keep going. So you were saying about, like, you know, from a skateboard perspective, I, I don't know. I, there's, there's also, I find in relationships, um, getting a referee in that environment is also really helpful, even if it's, um, because oftentimes um, you can be kind of slightly off the page with each other, even just a little. Um, and it's really nice for somebody to come in and help interpret what it is that's going on and help sort of, um, and again, like, I don't know, I'm, you just fucking, you know, I'm acting like I know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I'm saying to you, it's like, it sounds like you guys are a little bit off each other's page in terms of percentages, <laughs> 70 and 90, and three and two, you know, whatever, we're just talking numbers. But the idea of, um, of it's just about honesty and it's about, vulnerability and it's about 
being straight and it's also about trying to grow in unison uh, together as two completely different human beings living completely different lives with completely different brains. It's fucking impossible. Like, who would have thought the Beatles could have been together longer than eight years? Do you know what I mean? Like, we expect the Eagles to be, no wonder they hate each other. It's like, that's a really long time to be a band. I don't think people should even be fucking married for that long unless you really want to do it. There's so much stigma attached to it. And I'm 30 years in, and I totally dig my wife, and I would fuck it. I'm, I'm way in, but it's a, it is the most work you can do other than the work on yourself, is that if you're in a relationship with somebody else that's your fucking person and then if you make a little person that's your other one and that's it it doesn't matter if they're bombing fucking Libya or if fucking the Congo's on fire or whatever it's like these are the fucking things you need to deal with this is your shit this is your plate and it's like everything else is inconsequential and that's the beauty and that's where you can really bring the scope down into something manageable and when you do that it's wonderful but it's also terrifying because you're dealing with your intimate and you're dealing with things that feel cataclysmic and seismic and it's just a fucking skateboard. You got this. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's like, I'm not saying it's a belittle your situation. I'm just saying, you got this. Like, you, that's the place to fucking roll around and get yourself dirty. Awesome. Mario, how dare you come up here and have nicer hair than me? <laughs> and your voice. You're, I could listen to you recite a fucking cereal box. You're embarrassing me in front of my fans. Incredible. Oh man, um, you know minimalism. It's it's an in a way it's an answer to chaos. And if you don't feel like those skateboards are causing you chaos, then yeah, man. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Josh or I think or whatever, man. Like if it's not causing you chaos, then I don't know why why we, you would let it weigh on you, man. Yeah, you have our permission. Keep those skateboards, man. But, but, but no, but, but at the same time, we don't, nobody up here matters. It's your lady that matters. And so if it bums her out, then you fucking get to the bottom of why it bums her out and the two of you figure it out. It doesn't give a shit. Who gives a shit what anybody fucking thinks? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. about the two of you. And that's it. And that's beautiful. And that's like, that is like a, that is a rare diamond of a thing. Here's the truth. The getting rid of one of the skateboards is not going to fix this problem. <laughs> the problem isn't the skateboard. It never was, right? The, the problem is thinking you need to be on the same exact page about everything, right? And so there are certain things you wish she was on the same page as you. And you, she now she wishes you were on the same. But you're reading from the same damn book. And so, like, how wonderful is that? You found someone who was like, this is our book, and we're sharing this together. And yeah, you get on different pages from time to time. But you can get rid of the skate skateboard. You could buy a fourth skateboard. It's not about the skateboards. <laughs> it's, about, it's about understanding each other and then being able to accept the fact that you're not always going to be identical. And just because it's a challenge doesn't mean it's a problem. That's like my favorite saying of all time. Just because it's a challenge doesn't mean it's an actual problem. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, thank you Mario. So I knew you would bring the skateboard issue to a cosmic level. That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, thank you, brother. Thank I see a little kid back there. Are we have, do we have a little kid question? Okay, right. we can do one more if there's a little kid question. I apologize to the rest of the line. <laughs> you can text us a question, though. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've been swearing like a sailor. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> They're just words. They're Don't just, worry, we'll bleep it all out in post. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you, yeah, you can take that off. Okay. I think. Right. There you go. 
Hello. We're here because she wanted to say something. Okay. Hi. Oh. Well, she, she gave me permission to share that right before Christmas, I had their toys in bins outside and maybe like 10, 12 bins. And I'm also creating a preschool for my home. So I wanted to see which ones I could keep for that home preschool and which ones were just complete junk. Mm-hmm. But... um. She told me, I told her, you know, we can't be bringing in more toys for Christmas because it's just too much for us. And she said, you know what? Just tell Santa to use his powers and to just give them away to all the children that need them. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh. <laughs> what? Don't forget to put the washer shirt. Oh, and she really wanted me to tell you that I'm always watching the same, the same documentaries. When I'm doing things, I must have seen it like 50 times each. Oh. Yeah. What's That's your name? Amazing. Victoria. Hi, Victoria. Oh, Victoria. Thank you. Oh, you're so brave, Victoria. Thanks for coming up here. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, man. Oh, what a night. Matt, it's unbelievable that we get to do this with you. Oh, my God. I love hanging with you guys. Oh, And I love hanging God. with you guys. This was, like, so much more fun than being in my house <laughs> for another. I love my house, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, what, what's, uh, what's next for you? I know you got an album that you've been working on. Any, anything you want to uh, announce here yet, or we're still waiting? We're just sort of... Uh, just like your, my industry is sort of going to be the last one that becomes normal. Yeah. And so just, you know, I'm just making a lot of stuff in my studio and making records and hoping that we can put a tour on sale at some point and get back to some semblance of normalcy. But yeah, no, nothing to promote, just fun to hang. Yeah. And well, yeah. we're, we're all there front row as soon as, uh, yeah. as, soon as you're back out Love there. It. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, fun. Matt Nathanson. And thankfully, hiding in the shadows, the man behind the minimalist podcast, Sean, is hiding back there. Podcast Sean. We love you, buddy. (laughs) He gets us here on time and makes sure everything runs smoothly. Let's also thank, uh, well, let's thank August Hall for having us here tonight. What a great venue. Thank you to everybody working. They have such an amazing team here, and they've treated us so well, so I'm so grateful for that. Ultimately, I want to thank you for being here tonight. You know, I don't know what got you here this evening. Maybe someone dragged you here. Maybe you saw a little thing on Netflix. Maybe you were forwarded a podcast by your sister's brother-in-law. But you're here tonight, and I don't know where you're going from here, but... You spent some money to get in here, which was really awesome because Ryan and I, when we used to do this, we were talking about this backstage, we used to drive around in Ryan's Toyota Corolla, and if we sold enough books in a night, we would split a room at the Hampton Inn. (laughs) If we didn't sell enough books, we would just sleep in the Corolla. (laughs) But tonight, we have separate rooms. Oh, look, I don't know where you're going from here tonight, but if you leave here with just one message, please let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never 
works. Thanks for being here. Thank you, San Francisco. Thank you so much. Thank you. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it 